episode 286 of Global From Asia podcast. Last one for the year, and it's a fun one, talking about how we change when we become expats living overseas for a while, so it's a fun conversation. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight-up, actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Is it allowed to say that? Or Happy Holidays. I have friends all over the world, and I'm in China for Christmas, and it's December 26th, Thursday, as I record this. This show will be going online on New Year's Eve, Tuesday, 2019. We're going to be entering a whole new decade. Can you believe that? A decade. The 20-teens are done, and the 2020s are starting. I hope everybody had a great 10 years, and looking forward to 10 more years. Another little fun project I'm working on, which suits the whole New Year's, is Alive4FOR.com. It's a life calculator. I had Jasper on our team help me make that for this New Year's. If you want to see how long you've been alive and how long you have left to live, I look. I think about it all the time, so I thought it'd be cool to make a little calculator. If, if you're curious, check out Alive4.com and see how long you're going to be alive for, how long you've been alive for. Just a little fun project. I want to put it on my desktop and remember how much time I have left in this world because life is really short. And uh, seeing my kids, my son's turning six in May, can't believe it. Time is flying. So let's all make the most of it. We're going to have a fun conversation today. We, we're talking about, it's the year end and it's, it's uh, this holiday season. So that would be a fun one to talk about kind of the changes we go through when we leave our home country I think I've lost my mind. I mean, I'm in China for Christmas and I had hot pot and might watch my son eat bugs and not just a normal day here. Everybody's working. So there's no, no, nothing kind of drives you crazy. Right. So I think we lose a little bit of a touch of our reality or what we think is reality. And uh, the guest today is a really fun one from another podcaster. I'll let it, I'll let it go into the intro. Enough of this. Oh, this is going to the show. Are you looking for unique ways to make payments uh, in different parts of the world? It's from Hong Kong Bank. There's a great company. It's not even a startup anymore. They've been growing for so many years. I've been lucky to know them since their early days with Simon and and the team at GoRemit.hk. They are a cross-border payments company to help you make payments from your Hong Kong account to mainland China, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, and more use them for all kinds of different reasons and basically the best is for lots of micro payments to different people on all these different places you don't have to have bank accounts there and you don't have to pay bigger bank transfer fees with the traditional way so definitely check them out www.goremit.hk tell them gfa sent you okay thank you everybody for tuning into the global from asia podcast getting towards the end of the year and you know i thought we'd have a fun little conversation we have chapin here from misfits and rejects podcast i had the pleasure to to meet him in bangkok and in chiang mai while he was over here in asia thanks for coming on hey brother stoked to be on global from asia man i'm really happy to be here yeah i know it's cool uh we got to do an interview for your show while i was well you know a couple weeks ago and i'm happy to have you on here sharing and uh you know, first, before we dive into what we're talking about, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about yourself and then also, you know, this this podcast, Misfits and Rejects. 
Absolutely. I, uh, I fell in love with the road a long time ago and found myself in Nicaragua for the last, more or less last 15 years. And throughout the years of traveling and just living in a small fishing village, I had a lot of very unique people coming through my life. People that really inspired me that were living outside of, you know, social norms and mores in America. And, uh, I could relate to that because I didn't really ever feel very connected to the state. So to now finally find a group of people, a tribe, if you will, that I connected with and getting to see the personality traits and like really what made them tick was something that I just have really thrived on. And hence the reason I started this podcast to really shed some light on what they do, why they do it and how they make it happen. Because I think there's a huge misconception of um, expats and, you know, I, I, I call them misfits and rejects with <laughs> most up, utmost love and respect. Yeah, because man. I mean, I think we've all felt like we don't fit into the world at some point in our existence. And then we've also all been rejected, whether it's by a loved one, whether it's by, you know, a job that we really wanted. They said that, you know, we weren't fit for it, whatever it may be. And I mean, these two words I know carry kind of a negative connotation for a lot of people. But I think if you really peel back the layers, like everyone can relate to those two terms and and can fit into that model. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I, it connects to me. I, uh, you know, I guess I'm a misfit and a reject for a while now. I think, uh, you know, one thing I, I, I actually makes me think of is in I lived in China for you know almost over a decade, which sounds insane to say, but it, there was a common thing that Chinese would say about expats or foreigners in China is like, oh, these are the guys that girl girls that couldn't make it in their home country and they had to come out here for like a job. Maybe they're you know teaching or they're uh, you know they're trying to start their own business and they don't know you know they they're kind of like they came because they were a failure in their home country. So I thought that would be. I don't know if that's something similar with other locals in other countries, you know, in either Nicaragua or your, you know, or what your opinion is on that, you know. I think that if you speak the language, you have the privilege of actually hearing what they say about you. And yes, that's <laughs> I think a very common thing of any place that um, a foreigner decides to reside because they have over the years, centuries, or whatever of people, you know, explorers, for example go into these foreign places and make a life for themselves and don't necessarily always try to adapt to their social norms and mores. They're almost, you know, because they don't understand the language and they're not really making the effort, they behave as they would maybe back home in a culture that isn't similar. And it could be very off-putting to the the people of the place that you're residing in. So I think it is a common theme and it's a, it's unfortunate and it, it can give, I think, people, uh, you know, a bad reputation. But, you know, if you, you have an open heart and an open mind and you really sit back and try to get to know these types of people that, you know, a lot of them are really very intelligent. And although they might not behave in a way that's socially acceptable all the time, they still have a lot to offer the world and what they're doing. Totally, totally. Although I do have to kind of say there are some of those people that maybe deserve that comment from the locals. Like uh, maybe it's Sex Pats is a nickname or um, – you know, there's some people that kind of just yeah take advantage of, take advantage of that opportunity to have like a lower cost and be lazier. But uh, you know, I still think there's quite a few of us that you know could still quote unquote make it in our home country or could uh, do well where we were originating. But yeah, I, and I think the second part of that is like you said, a lot of people move expats and they don't try to integrate at all, leave our language or or friends in the local 
market where they live. So I guess that could also kind of upset or disturb the locals. Yeah, just to add to that statement of what I was just saying is that, you know, when you do find yourself in a lot of these cultures, especially if it's a culture where um, or it's an impoverished like third world country, uh, you do find yourself coming from, the you know, America, the Western world where you have maybe excessive amounts of money, excessive amounts of time. And it's very easy to get allow your vices to get the best of you. You know, we've all seen it. You know, the, the guy at the end of the bar. Mm. Um, like you mentioned, sex pats. I mean, yeah. drug addicts. Like it's it's definitely one of those things. With if you like, with freedom comes a tremendous amount of responsibility. It's like almost like having a superpower. Like you have to have some sort of, um, I would say, routine, some kind of healthy habits that you can keep yourself in check with. Because the locals around you will not. Like they're not going to sit there and. And you're not going to perceive their like glaring eyes as them judging you in the same way you might in America, for example. Like when you're waking up and going straight to the bar in America, your neighbors, the people around you, even though they might say something, might not say anything, you know that they're <laughs> judging you. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I feel like that's one of those like the social norms that like get misinterpreted by expats sometimes, where it's like it's totally cool to wake up in Bangkok and just go straight to the pub and like just drink all day and like no one really cares here, but everyone's silently silently judging you you just don't get it mm. yeah agreed i mean and i like that spider makes me think of spider-man but yeah with great power comes great responsibility you know i think just because we you know especially the older expats they kind of have their retirement they retire abroad and they have their fixed income and not much else to do so i'm sure you've seen your fair share of those kind of people <laughs> and i have for sure but uh yeah i guess 100 percent one thing I just have a quick question for you since you have spent so much time in China and you have uh, you know been in, in the, the global business arena for so long there are definitely expats who you know have made a significant amount of money created very powerful businesses and have you seen them succumb to the same type of vices I mean as they start to gain more financial power and and, and they still reside in these maybe inexpensive places do you ever see them starting to stray so, yeah, I mean, I think I went through a big transition in China from cheap, cheaper China to kind of expensive or more expensive, less cheaper China um, with inflation and the increased labor and cost of living. So, honestly, I even got kind of pushed out myself. I mean, I could have stayed there, but, you know, I mean, so I I noticed when I first got there at end 07, there was a lot of these kind of, I guess you could also say like first stage expats, you know, and these in these emerging markets for at least international or growing markets, it's kind of like the Cowboys, you know, and the Indian, I don't want to be raised, you know, sounds, you know, there's like that pioneer maybe, you know, with the arrows in their back. There's that saying. Yeah, of course. So there's these pioneers that just go out to China, right? And they don't know anything about it. They don't have much education, but they're the China guy. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're the crazy one that left America. So it's just like, I need somebody in China that has like speaks English that I can kind of trust that can go to like a factory for me. So I met a lot of these mostly men, you know, like that were just like China reps, China buyer reps. And it was, it'd be so easy before, you know, the prices were just so much cheaper to buy from a factory. So they, they would either be a middleman or they would charge a, a fee to these companies in the U S or overseas because uh, they could, there was a, 
a huge gap. You understand in price, and there's a huge gap in communication, a huge gap in technology. But I saw as I like, you know, I was kind of a tech guy that came there in 07, and there was no tech people. They didn't know the websites, they didn't know the marketing. They were just like quote unquote white or quote unquote foreigners that had these relationships in the city U.S. or their home country, and they uh, they could make money pretty easily just because. Um, they stay up at Skype, you know, they have a Skype call with somebody in the US, they would be a sourcing agent. But I saw all that get crushed, you know, like, as prices increased, as technology kind of developed Alibaba, online sources, you know, these global sources, other things. So I definitely saw those kind of semi retired people that just didn't really want to work just, were just kind of a almost pure middleman that uh, didn't add much value get squeezed out. And I saw it. Yeah, I saw where they would be. They were almost alcoholics. I have so many stories of I had a guy that uh, a few that have even that died that have passed away since I the last ten years since I've known them because of alcoholic alcoholic or getting deported um, things like that. So yeah, I, I would I just saw that whole phase of cheap China and then getting kind of these people squeezed out and lost and not sure what to do and they can't go back to the U.S. or their home country not because of legal issues but just because they're so different. Even I'm kind of like that now, but uh, <laughs> so I just saw that quite a bit. I can relate 100%. I would love to sit down with you on, an, on another episode and just talk about the yeah. different layers and stages and yeah, evolutions of expats because yeah. it's so fascinating to me. Well, and I you think was, you see a lot of them sometimes move to Vietnam or they would go to other countries. I remember there was this whole f- t- discussions at bars like, I can't take this anymore. It's getting, they would blame the locals, like, oh, they're getting kind of stuck up or they feel they don't need me anymore and blah, blah, you know, like that. But yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I just uh, was going to say that. You know, when they first did get there, though, and they were trailblazing, if you will, and they they did learn the language well enough to be that middleman between, you know, the American companies and the factories there, like, that was a huge asset. Yeah. You know, there was a time period in a generation where they were like gods to us who didn't have any, you know, education and, and understanding of, you know, that culture and how that was done. So, like, that's what I'm always fascinated by with these people who will go out and, like, I guess, dive into the deep end. Yep. And they swim and they figure it out and they make a life for themselves. And yeah, maybe they let their vices get the best of them at some point. But I mean, you, you can't be a complete idiot to yeah. like make that happen, you know? A lot of them like would just go with nothing, you know, like one way tickets in the like, 90s, early 2000s, you know, just, um, yeah. So uh, maybe move. Yeah, we could do a show with, yeah, in the future with yours. I mean, or, uh, it's just very fascinating, these different levels of expats. It's almost like probably the same, honestly, I would feel. If there was podcasts in the early 1900s, I can imagine being your podcast talking about people leaving Ireland to America, to New York, Italy to New York. Like my family came from all over the place, you know, like from Europe to make a better life for themselves in the U.S. or New York, you know. It's like I feel like there was probably different levels of those people right the the trailblazers pioneers that came with no information no knowledge no connections and then there was probably next level that had more information from the people that went first things like that's probably similar yeah one one book for your audience if they are interested in reading a little bit about expats is uh called tycoon's war it was a book written about uh vanderbilt and uh william walker william walker was uh an american who went to nicaragua and tried to make himself basically king of nicaragua (laughs) And uh, Vanderbilt was renting people from New York to San Francisco for the gold rush, and he was using the Rio San Juan through the middle of Nicaragua to get Whoa. them there. And um, in 1852, every shop owner in San Juan was a foreigner. Oh, 
So wow. you can see these like expats where, you know, they've, they're all around the world. They always have been for anybody who thinks they're cool and thinks they arrived in some little place first. They're not, you know, there's <laughs> always been someone there before you. So I think that's the one most annoying thing about expats is we use that like, Oh, how long have you been here to like measure social status? Yeah. But it's like, dude, there's someone who's already been here and who's already done something way cooler than you. So like, you can't be, you can't be playing that game. Yeah. It, it's been weird for me. Cause I, you know, I'm going on 12 or so years now and there's people I look, I don't want to say looked up to, but like mentors that were like here 10 years before me. And, uh, I don't know, there's this weird feeling that could be another topic of, going back to your home country. So a lot of them left China or left Asia, went mostly China because it's most of my network and went back to the U S and, uh, now I'm the one here, you know, and I've talked to them still in email. Sometimes it's kind of this weird feeling. Cause I looked up to them as like the experienced person in China or in this foreign place. And then they had, it's a weird feeling. I don't know how to explain it, but. Well, yeah, it's a, it's changing the guard. You know, you are that person that you looked up to. Now people look up to you. Yeah. I mean, getting to meet you and hearing your story for me, like I admire you and admire what you've accomplished and in, in the way that you've conducted yourself in business, like I admire you, like I would like to be like Mike, you know, <laughs> and have a podcast with the kind of uh, savvy that global uh, from Asia has, you know, like I'm misfits and rejects, you know, like I, I have all, you know, colors of people on my podcast, like just doing so many random different things. And, you know, you, you are, have like a more like panache to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I'll pass the guard soon, man. Just keep. I think it's about being consistent and just showing, you know, showing up, uh, showing up every day, you know, or showing up regularly. But yeah, every I mean, Monday, Misfits yeah. and Rejects, nine a.m. Every Monday, nine a.m. Monday. That's it, dude. <laughs> Ten a.m. Hong Kong time, Tuesday for me. So yeah, that's it, man. Um, so let's, yeah, I mean, with your experience interviewing so many uh, expats and rejects and misfits, um. You're back in the States now for a while. You know, you were just in Bangkok, Chiang Mai. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can share some other places you've been lately, but maybe you can give us some ideas of like the people you meet overseas versus uh, back home or back stateside. Things like just some insights, you know. I think the people I meet nowadays, you know, I lived in a small fishing village for quite a long time, the last 15 years. And so the people I met were, you know, primarily surfers and, um, I guess, you know, wayward travelers, people that's kind of searching, searchers, I guess. And I've plugged myself into the network where I met you in the Dynamite Circle to really yep. dive deep into the, you know, online entrepreneurial digital nomad location independent space. So the archetype has changed for me of what I'm encountering. However, I still keep my foot, you know, in the door of the old haunts. Like I found some amazing expat bars in Chiang Mai. <laughs> I, I courted a few people that I'm going to get on my show that Great. are just, you know, just my blowing my mind with how they are, who they are. Nice. And so I, I try to keep myself in both worlds because I am trying to grow my business, grow my brand, continually learn, push myself as an entrepreneur, as a person. But at the same time, I, I like, I do enjoy conversations with the, uh, the outliers, if you will, sure. the individuals who just like sit at the end of the bar quiet. You know, it takes about a week to approach them. But once, once they feel comfortable enough talking to me, then uh, I get a really good story. I think coming back to the States right now and sitting where I'm sitting, the biggest and most, uh, I guess the word would be like, thing that confronted me the most is the amount of fear 
that Americans have towards the rest of the world. Mm. I'm consistently coming back to a, a country of, you know, a media that is just fear mongering all the time mm. and people constantly saying like, I can't believe you do what you do. Don't you know how dangerous it is? And many times they're, they're citing how dangerous it is where I just came from and they don't really have any clue what it's like on the ground. Like I'm sitting here giving them real news in a conversation and they're shaking their head being like, no, but you're so wrong. Like the, the, like the American media is saying this. I'm like, I'm telling you, I just came from there. Like, it's not like that. It is totally safe. And they're like, no, it's not. It's so unsafe. Yeah. And, uh, wow, that man, was yeah. striking to me. If I can just elaborate on one more yeah, point, sure, like please. I, I went on a few Tinder dates when I was in Chiang Mai or Bumble or whatever it was. And every, the three American females that I went out with all said the same thing, that they were tremendously afraid of traveling by themselves. Wow. And it was the first time, I'm, I just turned 40, in all my years of travel, that I had that many people consecutively, female-wise, say that. I mean, I've walked across, last year I walked across the border into Myanmar with a, a skinny little French girl who's like 22 years old, and like she didn't have anything like that to say, and I I'm fe I fear that the American media has just captured the imagination of Americans and made them just so fearful of the world. Mm. And like, it's so sad. But it's I I mean I just I don't know what else to say about it. Like, the amount of fear in America right now is such so high. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's why I'm cool having your insights because I'm losing touch. I It'll be going in two years now since I've been back, and it was only Florida the time I went back for my family. But yeah, I mean, uh, I but I have to say, even when I first went on my own in '07, there was a lot of people scared for me, you know, leaving the U.S. or leaving the home country. Um, but maybe it's even worse now. I mean, I have no idea, but uh, it is scary traveling internationally by yourself, though, especially as a female. What did you say? You know, was would you say that'd be more a female American female or female male uh, American male? Um, I think you are right that it there is a certain amount of fear of the unknown that we all experience when we when we take that first step out to a new country. I mean, I still get it. Like I was anxious walking across the border into Myanmar. I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> um, now with you know SIM cards and and phones, it has reduced a lot of that fear factor because. I can get Ubers, Grabs, I have, you know, Google Maps, uh, Maps.me. Like, there's a, a huge amount of information at my fingertips that alleviate a lot of that stress that I used to experience when I would get in a random cab in the middle of the night, you know, in Yangon, Myanmar, and ex just hope that they take me to yeah. the right hotel. But yeah, of course, I think for females, it's a little bit more stressful, I would imagine, because just throughout history, they, the males are, I think, more predatorial when it comes to, you know, taking advantage of situations. So they're always on guard uh, more than males. But in my opinion, if you if you walk into a situation that you're unfamiliar with, you just abide by the same sort of rules that you would walking into a city that you're unfamiliar with in the States. Mm. You know, like walking around at night in areas you're unfamiliar with, probably not you shouldn't do. True. Same thing in like Yangon, Myanmar. Like if you're unfamiliar with the city and you just arrived and it's nighttime, you know, do your best to uh, mitigate some of those risks. Yeah. Although it's true. I mean, I, 
I mean, I live in Manhattan, New York City for five, almost five years. And uh, that was scary at times walking at night, you know, after a nightclub. Even in downtown Manhattan, there's some dark alleys and stuff happening that's a little bit scary. So I think people should also keep that in, in perspective. But yeah, of course, going to a foreign country, especially on your own, especially as a female, uh, it is a little bit more scary. You know, I think... Uh, I've met some women in, in Asia. If you want some contacts, I can connect to you. They they did like self-defense for women. Um, I don't know if it's specifically overseas, but they would, you know, teach you how to defend yourself in uh, certain situations to empower you a bit more, which was pretty cool. This girl, Tina. Um, yeah, I know girl. Tina. Oh, yeah, you know she's German. rad. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she did some of that. But yeah, I mean, actually for her too. I mean, she's an attractive, you know, blonde Western woman that is in Asia. I mean, it must be some awkward times for her. I mean, I I don't want to know how off topic to get, but they there was some other American girls in China. They would call themselves white pandas or like rare pandas because <laughs> Chinese men would just be you know the dream is to get the. There's so much to this. <laughs> the Western woman, you know, somewhat is a, a goal of some maybe Chinese or Asian men and. Uh, there's some of them could be pretty uh, persistent, and uh, they would call themselves white uh, pandas because they sometimes would go locally. They could speak the language Chinese, and they'd have Chinese men getting upset that they wouldn't give them their, you know, contact details or something, and they would get kind of awkward. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> I yeah, it must be harder for women, I think, anywhere. You know, unfortunately, even on social media, putting themselves out there, they get some price and pretty disgusting comments and stuff like that so i think it is unfortunately a bit harder or at least gotta be a bit thicker skinned as a female i would say yeah yeah i guess and we're, we're neither one of us are experts to even talk about the subject yeah, but yeah let's go down but uh so you know you've um you've interviewed people you've been overseas so long do you think there's some kind of insights about those that either make i say make it quote unquote with quotes or survive or stay overseas as expects long longer term uh, than those that maybe can't take it and go back to their home countries or any insights or trends that you might see yeah absolutely i i definitely observed this and kind of came up with a formula that scientifically i can't prove but it <laughs> seems like um the average female in nicaragua when i was living there would last like two to three years the average male would last like five to six uh, the average male would usually go home due to like alcohol and drug abuse, you know, and they just couldn't handle it anymore or like, you know, uh, bipolarism would mm. usually send people home. I had one guy get deported. Um, females, I think living conditions usually were the the primary reason for them to go back, you know, the creature mm. comforts, um, showering and hard water where they can't ever really suds up their hair and they, their hair just feels like hay all the time, you know, sleeping in. Uh, hot, humid climates where just bugs are constantly around. Like everybody, even myself, has a breaking point. And I did kind of notice, you know, the, the two to three year for females, five to six for males. But that's not a hard, fast rule. Like, I mean, there's so many amazing females that have outlasted me, you know, in Nicaragua and will always reside there because it's just, it's who they are, it's what they love, and they are thriving there for. Uh, what the reasons they are there and then same with the males, you know, like but as far as uh, what keeps people there, there's usually um, a drive to do good. 
So a lot of people that stay really immerse themselves in a community and they're trying to bring hope and prosperity to the local people who don't have that much. Or there is a entrepreneurial sort of endeavor that they have really dove into that is actually starting to work. And all their hard work over the years, since we are expats and we're always up against governments that really aren't in our favor, we have to always be very creative, dynamic, uh, bobbing and weaving in, 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 and have a lot of ingenuity as we build our business. So when it does finally start to work, it starts to work really well for a lot of us. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to start to reap the benefits, you know, that have been here 10, 10 years trying to reap. So I see that a lot as well. Okay. Um, and then just like you kind of alluded to earlier, like there's some who just can't go back. Like, yeah, yeah. They're so it's not for legal reasons. I mean, there are some, I have met plenty of them who can't go back. They're either avoiding child support for the male side, mm. um, or like tax reasons or yeah, they, they jumped, they jumped bail or whatever it is yeah. and they can't go back. Yeah. Um, and, or there's at this point, they've been gone for so long that it's so socially uncomfortable for them which yeah. you may experience when you come back. I, I feel, definitely always feel it. I feel it, it like before too. Yeah. Yeah. It's called repatriation. I talk a lot about it on my podcast where, you know, individuals, you know, they, especially even like military men, they come back and where they just came from was so different from what the everyday average person's experience on the ground in the, their home country that they just can't relate to anybody. And they walk around just like highly sensitive in a cloud, just like nothing makes sense. Everything's overstimulating. Everything's moving way too fast usually. And they just instantly like get anxiety and want to go back to where they just were from because it's like time has passed. Like the world has changed and they don't fit into it anymore in their country of origin. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can relate. I, I don't know if I want to admit, but I know some people not paying child support. I, I know one male that went back because of a death in a family and went and had to serve time for child support for a while. That's pretty hardcore. When he got into the border, they, they, I don't know if he, didn't he know that? I think he knew that, but anyway, because <laughs> his, his, one of his, I think his father had passed away and he said he had to go back and then he got, uh, he locked up for a while. It's crazy. Yeah. It's not an uncommon story, especially amongst males. Um, and yeah, who am I to judge? You know, I do get my, I do get my fair share of uh, trolls and haters for some of the, the individuals I bring on the show. And, you know, I, Misfits and Rejects is a positive uh, vibe. Like, I'm never trying to pull the skeletons out of people's closets. So I'm not like an investigative journalist trying to, yeah. like, find out the deep, dark secrets of anybody. But, yeah, I mean, you know, some people have them. And I definitely get my fair share of emails from angry loved ones saying that yeah. I, I've, I've put this person in a positive light when they're assholes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've. I think that's the the maybe I don't want to say risk or one of the even for me you know I've had guests on the show I've had people speak at some like conferences and then I've had comments or you know requests from people on the internet this person is not what they say they are or this person's done this or that I mean I try to listen and read and research um, it's a tricky uh, situation to be in but yeah I mean there are some people that. Uh, they won't admit it to you or me and they're maybe hiding, hiding. And uh, there's a reason they're here. You know, that's also one reason I'm scared. Sometimes people even say, Mike, you haven't been back as long as you're even ask me if I have a reason. I'm like, I, <laughs> but honestly, I get scared too. I mean, like, you know, there is that, 
nothing's ever happened to me, but you know, you go into that, you, all those movies, you know, it makes you think of the, uh, oh man, the Leonardo DiCaprio, the sleeping one, the dream in the dream. How am I blanking on the name? I've watched it a few times. Inception by Leonardo. I'm, oh yeah. Where he's like, I got to get back to see my kids. I got to get back to see my kids, you know, like, yeah. And then he, the end is like, you don't even know, I don't even know in the end if he's able to enter the U.S. or not. But to deal with the Japanese business guys, if he does what he has to do, he'll some have some connection to let him come back, you know. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, there is that fear, you know, you've been overseas. I remember when I first was overseas and I came back, the U.S. customs are like, why are you over? Like, yeah, like I'm like a criminal. You know, like, why are you overseas? What, what, why, you know, like, why, what are you doing? Like in a, in a, in a negative connotation kind of way, like, I mean, I'm there for business. I'm trying to actually maybe help America or help American businesses by being overseas. You know, like, don't look at me like some bad person, you know, like, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I get it. hundred percent. One thing that I've done in the past to like, help me uh, alleviate some of the anxiety is that I, I refuse to drive when I come back to the States. Mm. Um, I just ride my bicycle. It keeps things at a pace that I can kind of control and feel comfortable in. Mm. Uh, just because getting on the roads of Southern California, like LA area, Orange mm. County, it just, it's just too stimulating, overwhelming, especially yeah. coming from a small fishing village in Nicaragua where it's like, yeah. I never drove, there was never traffic. And then coming back and just being bombarded by the 405 yeah, is, uh, is too much. Yeah, so going into that, you know, there's those, I mean, you just kind of put Fallen, I'm popping all these movies on my, the Fallen Down movie with uh, Michael Douglas, I think. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's what I, you just made me think of that, and honestly, it even leads into the next question, you know, like, getting towards the end of the, end of the interview, so I think we got a lot more we can talk about, but for today, um, you know, those that are in the rat race that are stuck on the 405, going 9 to 5, want to maybe pull a falling down or something you know what trends do you see maybe from your listeners your audience that break out of that uh, rat race um, 405 traffic every day uh well the quickest and easiest way is to just go teach english abroad um the asian market is hot there's a bunch of companies most of the people that i meet here who are doing it overseas are using vip kid um, it pays like 20 bucks an hour. The interview process is pretty straightforward. And, you know, within a matter of two weeks, you could be certified to teach English and literally land anywhere you want in the you know Asian time zones and be teaching kids at, you know, on, on your own schedule. You just put in a schedule every week and kids sign up or they don't. So it's not guaranteed money right away. You do have to build up a bit of a clientele. But I mean, that's the quickest, fastest, easiest way. If you're unhappy with your job and you're making less than 20 bucks an hour and want to go live in a cool place like Thailand, you know, VIP kid is is the way. Um, For other individuals, I mean, like just taking, you know, feather out of your hat, like there's, you know, fulfillment by Amazon. Yeah, there's there's, um, a lot of opportunity online that no one really thinks about. And all it takes is a quick Google search, reaching out to you listening to your podcast and uh, you can be off and running. But I mean, it does, it takes drive and motivation and I mean a little bit of courage and just, you have to take that first step. No one else is going to take it for you. You're going to have to quit your job or you're going to have to buy that plane ticket. You're going to have to get on it and then get there and start to do something. But, um, you know, once you 
hear a few more stories either from my podcast or your podcast, yeah. like you start to realize that it, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to have necessarily any of these skills. It can all be learned on YouTube through listening to your podcast or, you know, multiple other ones where yeah, it's like, tons okay, of free information. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally a viable lifestyle for anybody who's willing to just take that first step. It will take a little time to build it up. Like again, the quickest way to make money right off the bat is teaching. But if you want to build your own business, that's going to take, you know, three to five years. Yeah, I agreed. Agreed. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we've mentioned Diamond Circle, Dan Andrews on, on the show. I mean, friend, really friend, friendly guy. And he's, they call it a thousand day rule, I think, for building your own company. You know, a few, that would be basically around three years, two and a half years, really to kind of get traction um, building it up. But, uh, you know, one of my last points I try to tell people is my favorite way to look at life or making a bigger decision is what's the worst that could happen? You know, what's the exact worst? Like when I quit my job on Wall Street to uh, to do this sourcing stuff, I didn't go to China right away. I didn't even know I would live in China. I was just going to San Diego at the time. But, you know, I remember quit. it was so scary to quit. And then I... Uh, I told my manager and then my it was separate. Like my manager was a different floor and I worked on a trading floor. So I'll go to trading floor and I started telling people around me that I was quitting. I put in four weeks, a whole month, just actually to be nice. But they're like, oh, you know, some of the guys, you know, it's, it's Wall Street. It's these kind of like frat boy people. At least when I was there, I heard it's changed a lot. But they're like, oh, you're going to be begging for your job back. And then I started thinking about, you know what? I guess if that's the worst Maybe I won't get my job back, but, you know, I probably could get my job back. And if that's the worst that's going to happen, maybe I lose some money or lose some salary payments. You know, if that's the worst that could happen, you know, and, and then I also think about it like I didn't do the MBA route. Uh, route. I did do a bachelor's, but I did get a bachelor of science, but I didn't get an MBA. And, uh, you know, I kind of just chalked it up to, to this is the best way to learn, right? Like taking action, going out of your comfort zone, going out of your home country. I think that's going to accelerate your learning and your quote unquote fail or lose money you know i think uh there's not much i think to lose but for somebody listening that's that's trying to jump off that that hamster wheel um maybe think about what's the worst gonna happen is maybe maybe even talk to your old boss be like could i maybe do it as a six month what sabbatical or something and then see how it goes something like that so you know you can go back if you wanted to but uh yeah i mean yeah i've had a bunch of guests say the exact same thing which i agree with 100 percent yeah. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to go back to the same job or maybe yeah. the job's not going to be there, but I guarantee you'll get another one. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. And another one, man, for me, like living, I, I quit Deutsche Bank and, uh, in wall street and that was in 2007. And, uh, just this year, 2019, there was a huge article. Friends were even sending me massive layoffs. I think they closed almost because it's a bank, bank of Germany, it's Deutsche Bank. They kind of exited a whole U.S. market. I don't know exactly the deal, or they sold it to another bank, but there was photos of all these people with their box of their desk leaving the office, you know, on the internet. And I'm like, that could have been me, man. You know, of course, that's 12 years ago, but you know, I think we're much better off now. You know, for those that left and uh, learned how to kind of hustle and make their own living than uh, than those. Uh, you know, no disrespect for those people, but you know, they, they also have that risk that they could get laid off and they got to find another job and you only have one skill or one income source, you know? Yeah. Can I ask you a personal question real quick? Are you sure. making more money now than you were when you were at Deutsche Bank? <laughs> uh, honestly, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean. But your cost of living is way lower living yeah, where I you mean, live than it was in New York. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's been times I've made more in spurts. You know, it's not as consistent. and um, But definitely, you know, I think I can't. To honestly say, I don't think the, the net net, I think I'd probably make a heck of a lot more if I was still there 12 years in. You know, at that, I quit when I was making uh, over six figures. So, you know, and I was like, it was insane. Like, my dad was almost crying because, you know, <laughs> just the amount of money that I was walking away from. But, uh, but yeah, man. So, it's been great to have you on the show. I definitely recommend people check out, check out your podcast. Uh, what's, of course, they can search iTunes or is there a website too? Or, Yep, yep. You can uh, go to misfitsandrejects.com, uh, check out the podcast there, all the episodes. Or, yeah, it's on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, any third-party podcast player will have Misfits and Rejects on there. And uh, I'd be stoked to get a new listener. Yeah, definitely, man. I hope it helps you out. And, uh, yeah, more power to you. You know, I know how the grind is of podcasting and content creation. So, um Thanks again for sharing and all the best for 2020. Thank you, Mike. Much love, brother. Ciao. Ciao. Do you need help with your online business? Well, actually, it's something new we're working on. We spun off a directory of sellers that we had at Global From Asia. We made amzassistant.com. It's a brand new website for the new year. Just another project of many that we do here where you can see all different kinds of sellers in Amazon and their ratings and reviews and customers can reach out to them we're trying our best to help bridge the amazon and the internet check it out www.amzassistant.com thanks so much that was fun uh man just so many memories i just remember having no clue what i was getting myself into but it's definitely an adventure and it's still an adventure i'm staying in my amazing aunt and uncle-in-law's house uh we have this whole like hut of hut not hut it's like complex of different apartments in this area so we can stay at different apartment buildings of our my chinese family my wife's my in-laws and um, you know it's, it's ice cold here i'm in north of shenyang china and basically there is uh not much to do except the mall and we usually go in the basement there's this massive underground mall where I'm talking about 10 minute walk from one side to the other. Um, I guess it's warmer there. It's true. I guess if I was in a freezing cold city where at least half the year it's freezing cold, I would save money on heat and make it underground. But these people just work and live there. There's no windows. You don't know what if it's day or night. It's insane. And there's been to the playground a few times with my kids and there's a food courts and there's uh, shops and there's nail salons and all this stuff just massive complex of people that work underground so the things you see when you i think it's really true i mean there's a huge difference for people that leave their home country and those that don't i think the perspective um is really different and especially with my my kids gonna have the most amazing experience they're not even like miles will be six just in a few months but They've been in multiple U.S., China, Thailand, so many different cultures learning about what, you know, I was trying to explain to them why there's no Christmas in China. They were like, where's Christmas? I'm like, well, there's some kind of like Chinese guy in a suit at a working at a jewelry store in a mall that we walked by that had Santa Claus on. <laughs> but 
besides that, I didn't really see much Christmas either. So it's just uh, it's just going to be an amazing experience for them. I mean, for me, I remember when I went to Italy, I in high school, I had these bright orange Nike shoes and a, a red Yankees jersey. And I got laughed at like crazy off the plane in Italy. And I thought that was totally normal. But uh, for them, it was these crazy Americans. So I just think dealing with different cultures, different people, it's definitely going to be an you know, important skill for the future. I think more and more people from around the world, well, I'm kind of actually second-guessing myself with Donald Trump and uh, presidents in China and other presidents. They don't really want foreigners in their countries, it seems. It seems like it's not letting us do that anymore. But I still think that governments can't stop people wanting to travel and people doing business with other kinds of people white yellow black green purple brown whatever you know we i think the skill in the future is going to be learning to deal with different cultures and different environments and being flexible and adapting quickly to your environment so i hope i'm preparing my kids soon i hope you are preparing yourself you know listening to this podcast hopefully helps you know we try to give perspectives we try to share share what's happening and uh, I think I'm going to go to Hot Pot soon. The, uh, the family is waiting. I've uh, been working, keeping things rolling here in Christmas time in China. So let's all have a great new year. We already got some great guests and re- recorded interviews already ready to go for 2020. 20- Next week, January 7th, we have a great one coming up with more international business for your e-commerce, biz- for e-commerce growth. And so much happening. So stay tuned. Thanks for subscribing. We will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.